Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by independent conservative Bruno Barron, Jaime Dominguez from Northwestern University, and Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by Larry Horst uh, from his uh, home in Florida. Uh, that'll be in the second hour of tonight's program. Nice to have you with us, 1-800-723-8289. The beginning of the program uh, to our listeners in Sacramento, California. Uh, we certainly wish your police department well as they uh, continue to look for the uh, the man or woman. I don't know if he's aware. We can't hear him. Situation of six people who were killed in Sacramento uh, last evening, late last evening. Twelve have been hurt. Uh, the assailant is still on the loose, and it uh, a fight broke out, and then shooting began uh, shortly after 2 a.m. This is just a couple of uh, blocks from the uh, uh, state capitol in California, but that's one of the big national stories of the day. It happens uh, with our affiliates at KTKZ standing by, waiting for the latest news uh, from their local police departments. Um, we have lots to talk about this evening. We've got a guest. It's not, I don't think he's ever been on the program, so Jaime Dominguez, I thank you you very much for joining us i don't think you've ever been on the program uh and i understand that if at this moment uh we're having a problem and you cannot hear us is that correct speak now or well we can't he can't hear us so technically he's not on yet <laughs> but, we, put him in the chat. but we uh, anyway uh charles lipson joins us he certainly is uh, a man who knows his way around microphones he's been on this program for uh Charles, you know, you've been on this program off and on for probably about 30 years now, uh, as, our, as our other guest in studio, Bruno Barron, who is a conservative, uh, independent conservative. Once upon a time, we called him a libertarian, but I think he prefers uh, uh, independent conservative. And uh, while we wait for a, a connection with, uh, with Jaime to join us, I want to talk about an issue that was a, a huge issue during the campaign uh, one side was talking about it all the time. That's the Trump side. Uh, the other side was trying to kibosh it uh, and, and kill it. And they were given uh, great success in their efforts because the national news media rallied in a conspiratorial way, as did uh, Twitter, uh, in killing a story about Hunter Biden and a laptop uh, which was found, which allegedly has some uh, rather uh, dubious and salacious stories about Hunter Biden. So, Charles, I'm going to begin with you because I know you've written uh, numerous times on this subject. Why is this story important now? And how badly, in your view, did it hurt democracy because of the way the national news media killed the story at a time when the information was very valuable to be known by the American people? Charles, are you there? Uh, Bruno, you're here. You're I, I am here. I guess one of the benefits of being in studio is that you can't. You heard my long question. Yes, I did. And they, and they can't. They can't zoom me out, and they can't. Uh, they can't uh, have uh, you know connection problems when you're actually sitting yeah. right here. What's the answer? Uh, I may be less of an expert at this than Charles is, but. Um, I kind of noticed it early when when this happened in in the, in the election. Uh -huh. uh, it was unbelievably obvious that this was a real story, 
that there were some serious issues going on there, and that what, what we witnessed was something that you would expect from, from Russia or China, is that we saw a news media, this supposedly free media, supposedly free press in the United States, literally work uh, illegitimately to squash a story, and the, the only people who deserve any credit in this is the New York Post that ran the story, and any of the small newspapers or any of the other news outlets, uh, whether it was Fox or other conservative outlets that actually ran with the story too, every single newspaper, such as the New York Times or the Washington Post, those newspapers, which are supposedly newspapers of record here in the United States that said that this was Russian misinformation or that this was uh, untrue, they were lying when they said it. They knew they were lying, and almost all of us knew they were lying. So you, you literally saw... And when you say all of us, you mean those primarily right of center. Right. Because you were singing from a songbook which you believed to be true. You did not believe the 25 former uh, CIA or intelligence operatives who signed a letter basically saying that this was Russian disinformation. Everyone in the media went with that story. The president, uh, in, in, in waiting, Joe Biden, used that as an example in the debate and throughout the closing days of the campaign, that this story about his son, uh, which included some rather salacious allegations, mm -hmm. uh, was total false. He just said, this is absolutely wrong, and literally everybody uh, in, the, in, the, in the mainstream media fell over and played dead on the story. Uh, I think they did more than fall over and play dead. I think they, I think the, look, I, I, they, they knew this was out there, right? I mean, there was a guy who had a laptop, and there were, you know, there was, there were, people knew that this was coming down the pike, just as George Bush knew that yeah. the, he was going to get the, the, the drunk driving question sooner or later. They, Biden knew this was out there, so they already had a plan. And, and But also, there was a guy by the name of Tony Bobolinsky, mm -hmm. who was a partner with Hunter Biden, right. and he went on Fox News with an extensive interview with Tucker Carlson, and he laid out the whole story. Right. And nobody, again, nobody gave Tucker Carlson, gave him any credit. They didn't give him any credence in telling a story, which has turned out to be absolutely true. Right. And the, the interesting thing about this, and I've, I've said this everywhere I've talked to, it's like, look, I don't care whether you love Trump or hate Trump or you're somewhere in the middle. My opinion of Trump is somewhere in the middle, even though I'm on the conservative side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fact of the matter is that we saw not only the quashing of the Hunter Biden story, but we already knew through the Russian collusion stuff and the uh, the uh, Ukraine business with impeachment that whatever mistakes Trump was making, that the the quote unquote deep state, which uh, our friends on the left try to laugh about and they try to gaslight us that it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. Trump was being uh, uh, harassed by his own government, his own, we, we had government operations of administration, CIA, FBI, Department of Justice, literally became a wing of the government that was fighting against its own elected president, regardless of what you think of Trump. Okay, we're not debating Trump's policies here. The question to ask is, is it right for the deep state and the media that works with the deep state to literally go after and undermine a president, um, a duly elected president, quite frankly. And, and that's or, a question we're and, worth asking. And, and uh, in the basis of where we are right now, and a, a complicit media 
that decides it's going to kill a story in the closing weeks of a campaign. And I believe there's been some polling uh, that has taken place that suggested that if certain voters knew about this story, they would have voted the other way. They would have voted for Donald Trump. Instead, they voted for Joe Biden because of this lack of knowledge that should have been provided to them by the major newspapers and media operations of the country. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. We're going to do a deep dive on Hunter Biden this evening. So if you have questions or comments or have been waiting for us to dive into it, uh, tonight's the night. Uh, Hopefully we will be able to reach our two Zoom guests this evening, and we'll do that when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Bruce Dumont back, and uh, through the magic of Fritz Goldman, one of the true radio geniuses of our time, I understand that uh, we have both Charles Lipson. Charles, say I if you're there. I'm not hearing you. <laughs> Jaime, are you there? Okay, well, neither one of them are there, so I take back what I just said, Fritz, but I know you're going to keep working because Fritz told me that it, it had been fixed during the um, during the break period. But we're going to continue our discussion here. Uh, guys, uh, when, when you hear me, I will say this, if indeed you do hear me, uh, just chime in uh, and interrupt uh, if, uh, if if Bruno is answering a question. Uh, Bruno, so l let's go back to uh -huh. the, the Hunter Biden thing. At this moment in time, when a lot of Republicans are tired of talking about 2020, whether the election was stolen, any related issues of 2020, is it is it wise for the Republicans now? Because they do have, I mean, they have, they have absolutely the best example ever of the news media acting irresponsibly and Twitter acting irresponsibly to hurt an incumbent president of the United States during the re-election campaign. That is a, that's a juicy, right. that's a juicy piece of meat there that conservatives have been looking for. Do they waste their time chewing on that piece of meat or should they be focusing on issues that the general public and Republican primary voters may be more interested in, which is about the future, not looking backward in any way? Uh, if, if I were advising any campaign, what I would say is use all of this Hunter Biden stuff that you can in a forward-looking way, not a backward-looking way. You don't use it to relitigate 2020. You don't mm -hmm. use it to say, well, polls show that this would have th th this would have got won the election if yeah. the New York Times had printed it. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the case. But we, we live in a this is the way I put it. And, uh, you know, liberals can disagree and progressives can disagree. Um, but the way I put it is that in every election, even more so now than even if, if you like t 10, 15, 20 years ago, every election, the media spots the Democrats 15 points simply by the fact that the vast majority of people don't follow politics as closely as you or I do right. or as most people do. So they get, their, they get their information from CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, some from Fox. Or and, the late-night comics. Or the late, well, if, and, if, and if you get your news from the late-night comics, you're an idiot. Um, you know, I don't even watch any of the cable shows. I don't watch Fox. I don't listen to talk radio anymore other than this show when I, when I get a chance to. Good answer. Um, be, and because it's all so ideological, you have yeah. to get your news from non-ideological sources. And if you're getting your news from cable, new, from cable news, you're getting a three-minute, ten-minute segment portion. You can't go into depth on anything. You have to go to get your news from the Internet and, and, and sift through the garbage and pick out the gems. So, but the news media spots the Democrats 15 points. If that didn't happen, if we had even a... If the news media was even as balanced as it was in, say, 1980 or 1988, when they were still liberal, but you, but that couldn't overcome, you know, Reagan's, you know, popularity, charm or yeah. popularity or anything like that, uh, we'd win every election because the the left is just too far left right now. Let me reach out and see if Charles or Jaime can uh, can join us with a comment. Charles, I'll look to you first. You're smiling, so you may be able to hear us, but go ahead. We're still not hearing the audio. Has he pressed uh, the, the mute button on your computer? Jaime, let's try you. Are, are you uh, any luck with audio? Am I coming in? Yes, yes. 
Okay. Uh, okay. We've been talking for uh, well over 22 minutes, uh, Jaime. Uh, you can yes. pick up on any of those subjects, but I, but let me focus my question, uh, initial question this way. Um, sure. Is because of what's happened with the Hunter Biden story, as a political scientist, how bad a story is this for those that want to believe in democracy and, and the freedom of the press and the freedom of the press to deliver information that they can digest. I mean, is this a pretty horrible case of, of malfeasance by the news media? I think there's some definitely some irresponsibility going on. And I think the extent to which, you know, the media now is just so multifaceted and ideological that it, such a story can be pulled in, in, in different directions and you can always kind of uh, spin a different narrative about that. So, um, but you know, people like, as Bruno was saying, people get their sources, their news sources from very different source, uh, different outlets. Uh, you know, Twitter now it's just a quick, uh, you know, two second, three second tidbits about a story, and they run with it without actually investigating the actual, uh, um, you know, substance of the the story. But the extent to which going forward, this story, I think it it, it can get legs only if, if 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 the administration allows it to to become a story. I think. Uh, I think it, it, it maybe people will see it just as a distraction. Obviously, this is the, the son of, of the current president. But I think what the administration needs to do if they want to just not get distracted by it is just continue to speak about what they uh, are doing just on, on the political front, economically. Uh, Bruce, can you, yeah. Bruce sure. can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. And, and let me ask a follow-up to what Jaime said and yeah. give you an opportunity to respond. Is this, as Jaime just suggested, perhaps something that uh, the Democrats can spin their way out of or the media can spin their way out of this? Or is this uh, an egregious example of their uh, finger on the scale and uh, a disregard for uh, uh, accuracy in reporting in the closing days of a campaign? Well, if you read the polls, the polls say that uh, the public no longer trusts the media. And I think the media has richly deserved that. They didn't just fail to report the Hunter Biden story when it really mattered. Mm -hmm. They killed it. Right. And the social media didn't allow the one uh, newspaper that was reporting it to actually circulate the story. I mean, it was really just awful. And uh, personally... I agree with Bruno. People want, going forward, what people care about are um, the declining real incomes. I mean, inflation is only part of the story. Declining real incomes are more important. That's why inflation bites them so much. But, uh, and they care about war and peace, and they care about the surge in the on the border and they care about crime but i think they get a sense that the people who are the permanent washington ruling uh groups are grifters and that was true of the clintons and it's true of the bidens and uh what the media is basically trying to say is it's everybody in the biden family except joe is this is this a media case uh bruno that uh 
Democrats and Republicans, they have already made their decision. They've come down on this issue. They're either going to spin and poo-poo uh, the, the treatment of the New York Post story uh, and, and, and Twitter's involvement of killing the story. They're going to say that that's politics. That's yesterday's news. We don't want to discuss it. Are they, are they going to whitewash it? Or uh, because Joe Biden appears to be having problems with independence, is this a story that, that can pique the interest of independents who do want to know whether well, there was skullduggery by the news media? This is the way I would, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'll tell people up front that I'm, I'm really hoping that the conservatives and the Republicans do well in the next two elections. Right. And, and I'm not doing that because I'm just a partisan hack. I'm, I'm pretty conservative, but I, I see many, many angles of the left as, as being dangerous at this moment. And this story and not reporting the story is part of it. So I, I say this as a as a free political consulting uh, idea for any conservative mm -hmm. or any Republican. No run, charge for this. Running. No charge for this one. Um, they didn't tell you about the Hunter Biden story, and that's in the past. But what are they not telling you about what's going on on the border? What are they not telling you about in gas prices? What are they not telling you about? What are they spinning in all of these issues that are important to you right now you're paying $5 for gas, and they're saying that Biden has nothing to do with that when the progressives ran and have been running on spiking gas prices for the last two election cycles. So Jaime, that's I, what I would do. Jaime, your reaction to that? Spinning on yeah, other issues. I, don't know. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, just in terms of the, the media, yes. I mean, they definitely, you know, everybody has, has, has a bias and has, has an angle to a particular story. But, you know, to the extent that it's just the, uh, you know, uh, the left-wing media that's just trying to bury the story. While there may be some legitimacy to that, I think it goes on on both ends. So I think the, the extent to it, again, this story can, can can continue to be at the forefront of just the major newspaper or the major uh, new, uh, media outlets. And yes, it will continue to be a story. But I think um, if, if this story becomes a, a, a rehashing of the 2020 election that Bruno was pointing to a few minutes ago, then I think that's gonna, uh, I, I don't think that's, it, it's going to actually, I think, reduce the significance of what that story can become. So I think it's a double-edged sword in terms of how this story is actually going to be treated, not just by the media, but also by, by you know, on both ends of the political aisle, and particularly the right, with in, in regards to that, they see this as a potential, you know, uh, 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 it could be a liability, right, for, for the administration, and more importantly, can open up more uh, electoral opportunities uh, for the Republican Party going forward, not just in 2022, but also getting them ready for 2024. Charles, uh, how does... Uh... How does Donald Trump, if indeed he wants to, and I assume he wants to, because uh, there's nobody likes to talk more about what's in the rearview mirror than Donald Trump, but how can he move this story without focusing too much attention on, uh, you know, just another another point in the past where he has been aggrieved, and it's just you know Donald Trump being angry again, and uh, not letting the natural uh, confusion and, and the natural irateness of people against this story, uh, you know, un unfold without his nurturing. That's the question. We do have to pause for some spots right now. But when we come back, Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, Jaime Dominguez from Northwestern University, and Bruno Barron sitting right across from me at the WIND Studios, beautiful Salem Studios in Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away.
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Oh, no. From coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com, this is Beyond the Beltway, and I am Bruce Dumont. And uh, we are now going to take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves, and we're going to begin with a man right across the table from me, Bruno Barron. Bruno? Um, gosh, uh, my name is Bruno Barron. I've been on this show, I think, maybe not quite as long as Charles, but I've been on and off uh, guest since the uh, early 90s. Um, I'm kind of a, I kind of have a vast right-wing conspiracy card uh, here in Illinois. I've done some political consulting for some candidates, uh, written some policy things. I've worked for the Heartland Institute where I was uh, doing education policy. 
Um, so I'm kind of a policy wonk. I speak uh, fluent nerd. I, I speak fluent, uh, you know, hardcore righty. I used to have a little bit of a radio show, so I, I, uh-huh. I speak, you know, fluent right wing, okay. um, basically. And uh, right now I'm uh, remodeling houses uh, for my church and fixing things up in uh, North Chicago, Illinois. Very good. Uh, Charles Lipson, uh, the aforementioned Charles Lipson from Marks, Mississippi, a veteran member of the staff and faculty of the University of Chicago. Tell us more, Charles. Well, Bruno said he'd been on since the early 80s. I think I've been on since Marconi uh, invented <laughs> the medium uh, but <laughs> uh, and have really enjoyed it. And in fact, Bruce, uh, I'm an emeritus professor at University of uh-huh. Chicago, but still doing both academic work and a lot more writing of op-eds and pieces like that. I'll have a piece out uh, tomorrow on Spectator World, uh, the um, on uh, the next phase of the fighting in Ukraine, but I've also been very interested in in uh, uh, American politics and writing a lot about that. Enjoyed uh, actually before we went on the air talking about American politics with Jaime. Right, Jaime, tell us a little bit about yourself. This is your uh, maiden voyage on our program, as I recall. That's right. Uh, glad uh, I'm on. First time being on. So Jaime Dominguez. Uh, political science professor at uh, Northwestern University. I'm also the uh, director of the Chicago Democracy Project at, at, at Northwestern University, which is basically a project that looks at uh, civic engagement uh, in Chicago. And um, it's basically a data data hub of all elections at, all, at various levels. And we use it as a way to get our, our young students involved in politics mm-hmm. uh, to become engaged in their communities. Um, and um, it's a pleasure to be here. Good. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of your areas of expertise as the program unfolds this evening. Uh, I do want to take a moment, uh, however, on a, on a personal note to uh, share uh, with our longtime listeners and viewers uh, something very new that we're announcing and launching tonight on the Beyond the Beltway uh, website. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this program since June of 1980. And so I literally have hundreds and hundreds of of programs that we have done and in previous programs uh, that I hosted, whether it was Inside Politics or Insight on WNIS back in the 1970s or when I started my career uh, basically uh, uh, in the early 70s at uh, WLTD Radio in Chicago. I have literally thousands of hours of interviews that I've done. And uh, I've always believed that maybe if you're a political junkie, that maybe political junkies from time to time would like to be able to turn back the clock and listen to a discussion that took place in a contemporary manner right after either at a either 15 20 30 40 years ago or in the wake of some historic uh, moment in American politics and so uh, thanks to uh, you know Todd Nebel and uh, Fritz Goldman and uh, people like that who've on our technical staff uh, we have digitized much of the collection of uh, this broadcast uh, beyond the beltway and its predecessor shows and so we literally have thousands of uh, hours of programming that are sitting in our archives but instead of just waiting for you to go to the archives and look up a particular date uh, starting tonight literally right now if you go to beyondthebeltway.com we're introducing a new thing called flashback and the beyond the beltway bruce dumont flashback is curated selections 
of past episodes from our archives every week. In fact, there's going to be there's going to be something new launched every Sunday night when this program goes off the air. We're going to pop something new up on Flashback, and tonight we turn back the clock 42 years to the first program we did following the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan in 1981. And uh, the late Tom Roser, who is a frequent guest on this program, you'll hear him again. Uh, you will also hear Ed Rooney, uh, the late Ed Rooney, veteran reporter uh, for the Chicago Daily News. F. Richard Ciccone, a longtime political writer and uh, p political editor of the Chicago Tribune. And also you will hear from Larry Horst. And Larry Horst doesn't even know this. Larry Horst is going to be a guest on this program in the second hour tonight. And yet, if you go to the website and you go to our flashback, Larry Horst will be there because he was a guest on that program discussing the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan and all the controversy involving Secretary of State Alexander Haig. So it's a regular way that we're just going to historically, sometimes it's going to be 10 years ago, tonight's going to be 42 years ago. And again, we can go back a long way with Inside Politics and Beyond the Beltway and that archives. And so we're going to offer it to you uh, to uh, enjoy or not. But uh, you can find it at beyondthebeltway.com. Beyond that is so wonderful, Bruce. I just want to... Well, we have hundreds of hours of you, Charles. We'll just have to let you know when it's... Maybe we can do it. But I want to <laughs> say something about Dick Ciccone, who, sure. you, who you mentioned. Do right. you have a moment? I do. Dick Ciccone, who was the managing editor of the Chicago Tribune back when it was really the juggernaut paper in Chicago, told, and he and I shared the microphone many a time uh, on this show and on Milt Rosenberg. Mm -hmm. But he, uh, which you, Bruce, uh, were uh, the first producer or the yes. second producer, producer on that show? First. Um, and Dick told me a fascinating story that political junkies who listen to Beyond the Beltway will appreciate. Dick was in the room when the people who headed uh, the Tribune had to decide what headline to run at about midnight uh, on the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. And remember, now CBS and, I, and maybe some others had already called the election for Gore. Right. On the basis of Florida. And Dick told me, and, and Anne-Marie Lipinski was the overall boss. She's now the head of Neiman Foundation at Harvard. Anyway, she, he said that I gave her one piece of advice. I said, we blew the 1948 election. <laughs> we cannot afford to, to blow this one. So they put up undecided. But it's one of those cases, mm -hmm. since you're talking about going back and listening sure. to wisdom from the past, it's one of those cases where somebody remembered the history of the Tribune right. and realized that this would be a catastrophic mistake and gave the right advice as a result. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. And, and again, one of the other things, that, again, and just looking at the list, obviously, 
uh, you you are in that archives. Bruno is in that archives. Jaime, you will be in that archives to listen to forty years from now uh, with your great with your grandchildren or great grandchildren. Uh, but also uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, the mayor of Chicago, former mayor. Uh, was a regular guest on this program for uh, many, many years. And uh, Carol Mosley Braun was first discussed in national politics uh, on this program. David Axelrod. David Axelrod. There's a lot of people who uh, uh, cut their teeth on this program. And again, uh, you will hear them through the magic of the Beyond the Beltway flashback. So remember that again. You can go, and again, it'll it'll run for the whole week. It will we'll change it every Sunday night. But again, uh, something uh, for you to uh, show uh, interest in if you're interested. Jaime, I want to go back to you because one of the other big issues uh, this moment is a change that uh, the Biden uh, administration is going to make in so far as uh, COVID restrictions on those trying to get into the country, uh, and they are going to. Uh, overturned some legislation uh, and uh, some liberals may not like it. Can you explain the, the, the political dilemma they're in at the moment? By not, well, by, I, by I not letting, uh, by, by not allowing certain uh, people into the country? Yeah, well, I think it's just Biden, you know, uh, I mean, he gets a lot, he scores a lot of points with his administration's response uh, to the COVID pandemic. Uh-huh. So I think it's important for him and just in terms of the, uh, of just uh, from the political optics, but also from a substantive standpoint that um, he just wants to continue to take a cautionary road towards um, uh, the pandemic. I mean, we're kind of turned the corner on it, but he just wants to make sure, I think, uh, with the hope that, you know, people will still, um, uh-huh you know, view him and his mission as, as, as uh, the, the people who can actually uh, handle this pandemic and control it. So, yeah, yeah there's going to be consternation uh, amongst those people who think that this is just going way beyond what we would expect at this stage, given where we're at in terms of the pandemic. So, um, listen, this is a, it, it's a difficult to delicate issue. But I think that he has to continue to toe that line that he's not just going to all of a sudden just... I thought you were talking about something different, Bruce. I thought you were talking about his waving the section that allowed them to return people at the border and by waiving that particular provision Mm -hmm. there's just going to be a lot more people flooding in i think that the whole border issue is catastrophic politically for the democrats and i think that it uh dovetails with a lot of people perceiving that the democrats have been soft on crime in cities and that crime has gone up so they see the border issue and urban crime as somehow connected well uh that was what i'm talking about i i do want to come back and talk a little bit more about it with our other guests uh also jaime i want to discuss with you uh the recent stories suggesting that there's a real softness in the support for the Biden administration uh, by Hispanics around the country. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. Let's go to a telephone calls. Let's go to Tom listening to us in Youngstown, Ohio. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, Bruce. Uh, early in our program, you and your guests were talking about the uh, media uh, filtering the information that got to uh, their listeners and watchers yeah. uh, to favor the Democrats and the, the liberals. And I, I noticed that Trump is uh, having a lawsuit now over the dossier against Hillary, Democratic Party, a number of other uh, mm -hmm. people and, and groups. And it, it's I'm just wondering what your guests think of if if others were to follow suit. Because I think Trump is doing this not necessarily to win, but to try to get the truth out to those people who otherwise have not received it. Um, and and I, I think that that same technique should be used by a lot of these people that were are still held uh, from J uh, January 6th. Mm -hmm. uh, from the standpoint, for example, uh, Nancy Pelosi, as I understand it, and the uh, uh, mayor of Washington, D.C., uh, were able 
we're aware of and, and were able to call the National Guard, but they never did. And Frank, in fact, uh, supposedly Trump had 20,000 uh, troops that he signed off on, but they had to sign off on it, too. And that would have prevented the whole thing. And then also regarding the virus, was, was it weaponized by the CDC to uh, manipulate the uh, elections? Because if you recall, a lot of the states uh, modified their uh, voting techniques in order to accommodate it. And then I, I think that those people that uh, who were denied uh, service care uh, because they weren't vaccinated uh, or who lost their jobs because they uh, weren't vaccinated, but who had immun- immunity should sue. And again, I think through this whole so process. Of, so I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm understanding. You're saying that in, the, that in each of these cases, there should be a lawsuit because the lawsuit will continue to provide uh, public information and reporting. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. In other, in other words, people would be would be under oath, depositioned to tell the truth. And I think we can get out, you know, what the truth actually is. There's still uh, con- uh, differences of opinion as to whether or not the uh, therapeutics work. There's still differences of opinion yeah. as to, uh, and there's so much, there's so much of a gray area here. I think the lawsuits might at least uh, in the legal arena bring out the truth. Tom Bruno has a comment for you. So I, I kind of agree where Tom is going with this. And I, I was going to say this relative to your question regarding the Hunter Biden story. And and again, this isn't that I agree with everything Tom just laid out or that it's going to all fall Donald Trump's way in terms of getting the truth out or anything like that. But what I do think works with a lot of this stuff, and I, and I think lawsuits in some of these cases might be worthwhile, is that the, the war right now, and we used to have an establishment in this country we could trust. And there was an establishment when Ronald Reagan took office and when George W. Bush took office that might have been anti Reagan or anti-Bush, but it was an establishment that it worked and you could trust it. And when you look at what happened with the Hunter Biden story, and you look at the way the CIA and the FBI and the Department of Justice became weaponized to go after their own sitting president, and you start looking at the way things are working all through COVID, and all there, there is a story that needs to get out. Yeah. There is information that needs to get out, and and that information should say this: you can no longer trust. America's establishment and we don't want that doesn't mean we want to blow the establishment up what it means is we need to find out how to get the establishment working again because in a, in a nation this size with the people this size and the, and the power that we still project and the umbrella that we still create for the world if our establishment is broken and corrupt and worthless and lying to us we have to get rid of it not because we're mm. anti-establishment but because we have to be anti-broken, anti-corrupt, mm-hmm. and anti-lying establishment. Well, clearly, I think in the case uh, for those that wondered why Donald Trump ever uh, you know, distrusted, mistrusted uh, the CIA and the intelligence community, was he was absolutely right. I mean, look what they did to him throughout his entire presidency. Yeah. And look what they did in this particular case involving Hunter Biden. 25 of these alleged leaders, the, the pillars of the intelligence community, they were lying through their teeth by telling the American people that this looked like Russian intelligence, Russian disinformation to them. Right. That was absolutely wrong. And half of these people are vehement, uh, you know, uh, anti-Trump people. And uh, they carry the credential of uh, being the former head of the CIA or the or the uh, NSA. Uh, Jaime, I want to go to you on the issue of trust and on also the, the broader question of recent stories 
that the Hispanic community or communities around the United States are less enthusiastic mm -hmm. about Joe Biden, and it shows every day and uh, that they are leaving the Democratic Party in droves. Do you believe that? I wouldn't say they're leaving them in droves. I think that's a real stretch. I think that they have some of the support has definitely uh, uh, decreased. A lot of it, I think, has to do with the, with the, the, the effect of COVID, particularly around the issue of schools. I think that that was a huge factor. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the fact that particularly here in Chicago, you know, where, where we wanted our kids back in school, the Hispanic community, and I work with, with the community here in a variety mm -hmm. of different ways. And, and what I kept hearing is that we have to open up the school. But then there was, you know, the, uh, the teachers union was closely aligned with, with the establishment. And so for, for, for Latino and Hispanic families, you know, these are families who have two or three, uh, it's, it's a um, working household where both parents are working. And so for them, you know, the, 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 the crisis was really profound. I mean, the, the Hispanic community got hit more uh, uh, profoundly than any other, I would argue, uh, uh, demographic in the United States. And so, uh, you know, when, when you see schools being shut down, when you see uh, businesses, mom and pop businesses, because uh, Latinos also tend to be entrepreneurs and they own a lot of mom and pop stores. And so for them, they thought that that the opportunities, right, that were not there. And so for them, it was about their children. So I think that had a lot uh, to do with it. Uh, and so I, 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 st I still think, though, that, uh, you know, Latinos overwhelmingly still support the Democratic Party. About 65 percent of Latino uh, voters do register with the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. And no doubt about it, uh, Republicans, depending on where you're at in the country, have made some gains among Latino voters, particularly to what Charles was saying earlier along the border. Right. Because that that, mm -hmm. that phenomenon, particularly along uh, the Texas uh, border, that situation, you know, we set afar here either in Chicago or in Washington, D.C. And we talk about immigration, but the people that are actually living on the border feel it every day. They see it. It's tangible. They have a pulse for it. And so their world is just so much different from what we hear either governors talking about in other states about what's happening on the border or whether it's the Biden administration talking about what's happening on the border. Jaime, can so we, we've got, that, we, you know, there, there's we, an issue. We've got, we've got, got, we've got a break. Can you, can you stick with us? Stay with a little bit, a little bit longer, Jaime? Yes. Can you stick with us? Charles, can you stick with us a little bit longer? Happy to do so. I'm Bruce, Bruce. Dumont back shortly from Chicago. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. From the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois, nice to have you with us. We continue with Bruno Berendi in studio with me, Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, Jaime Dominguez uh, from Northwestern University, making his first appearance. Nice to uh, have you with us. And uh, Charles, I, w- I want to go to you because uh, there's been so much said and written uh, about almost the foregone conclusion that the uh, Republicans are going to take control of Congress, at least the House, possibly even the Senate in the fall. Um, do you believe that, or uh, is this going to be a much tighter race than uh, maybe Republicans will acknowledge at the moment? I think the Republicans will win the House and win it fairly decisively. What, uh, Although it looks as if the uh, Democrats have done a better job of gerrymandering than the Republicans did this time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the closer race might be the Senate. And I think that and the Senate is more important because the Senate uh, approves uh, all the appointments. And in fact, I think that uh, Donald Trump's um, backward-looking uh, grievance-centered politics since November the 3rd, which you were talking about in the last hour, mm-hmm. cost uh, the uh, Republicans the, the Senate, Senate yeah. and decisively changed the trajectory of the uh, Biden administration. If the Republicans had won uh, either of the two races in Georgia mm-hmm. for the U.S. Senate, then Mitch McConnell would have been the majority leader, and more importantly, uh, Joe Biden would have had to make uh, compromise choices in his nominations uh, to head uh, many of the bureaucracies um, and in terms of legislation. Uh, he didn't have to do that because of, in my opinion, uh, uh, Trump's uh, uh, foolish quest 
uh, to vindicate uh, his mm -hmm. supposed victory in the election, which he lost. Jaime, as, as you look at uh, the relationships uh, between the party, we talked a little bit about whether or not Hispanic voters are going to be as loyal uh, to the Democratic Party as as they have been in the past, and you said there may be some there may be some leakage coming up here, but as you look at the way the Democratic Party reacts to its two of its major uh, uh, constituency bases, the African American base and also the Hispanic base, from a, from a Hispanic perspective, is their belief that the leadership of the party if they have to choose something that's going to be beneficial to black voters compared to something that's going to be beneficial to Hispanic voters, they're going to automatically aside by going with something that's good for the black voters. And I'm wondering whether that's a fair perception that I have and whether or not the reaction from Hispanic operatives, not just, uh, and I don't mean, I mean average Hispanics, but but those involved in the political process, but not necessarily, you know, in major leadership positions, uh, do they sense that that they're uh, they're the Democrats' second favorite uh, minority group? Um, I think that I mean there is that perception out there, but I, I don't think it's a question of either or. I think one thing that I think we have to uh, make clear is that the Hispanic community, not to say that the African American community is not, but it's very heterogeneous socially, culturally, national origin, immigration experience. So there's a wide range of ideology within the Hispanic community. And I think that that, I think both parties, uh, uh, I think, uh, have not done, a, Democrats, I think, have done a better job, but I think the Republican Party is also, I don't think that they've caught up with that yet. They, 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 they continue to pigeonhole, I think, the Hispanic community, that, yes, they're going to vote always Democratic. They're going to toe the line just like African-Americans do on all kinds of legislative and cultural issues, and that's not necessarily true. That's why I think even just on the partisan front, from a registration standpoint, about a third of Hispanic voters do support the Republican Party in some in some way. Now, mm -hmm. going forward from a from a political strategy standpoint, I think that uh, both parties have a lot of work to do. Particularly when you think about just how close the election was this last time, and you think about just competitive races in states such as Arizona or Florida or Pennsylvania. You know, we're talking about national election, but if you just go down to, you know, everything, all politics is local. The lower you go, the more impact it's going to have. So I think, you know, if you look at just uh, alleged congressional races, uh, state and house uh, races, I think that uh, both parties have a lot of work to do. And I think one thing that the Democrats cannot do is be complacent and think that Democrats just by default are going to just gravitate naturally towards the uh, Democratic Party. Because I think it also depends on where you're at in the country. Because one thing I talk to my students about, we we talk about my Latino politics seminar is that when we talk about Hispanics and Hispanic politics or Latino politics, regionalism is something that you just cannot dismiss, right? Because there's different Latinos all over across the country. Mexican Americans in the Southwest California, you have Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and some Mexicans in the Northeast. In Florida, you have traditionally uh, uh, Cubans, but that's also changing up because they've had a large influx of Puerto Ricans coming mm -hmm. into, into Florida, particularly in and around the Orlando area where the uh, registration uh, percentage between Republicans and, and Democrats has actually closed, where it's now almost 50-50. So that in and of itself just tells you the changing nature of the changing nature of Latino politics. And so I think does again, that both parties have an opportunity, but also challenges ahead of them. 
because of that, because you have the, you know, you, you have the, the Mexicans and uh, the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans, does that, does that dilute their collective power? Because within those groups, there may not be the uh, simpatico that uh, might exist in the black community. That the black well, community I mean, may be issues, more united. Yeah, but there are than some that, issues, I think, that does unite the, 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 the community, say, the collective as a whole, for uh -huh. example, on the issue of language. We know Latinos overwhelmingly support a multilinguistic multi society. Uh -huh. So I think any kind of assault to try to ban the uses of, of say, the Spanish language when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, getting engaged with, 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 with politics, I think that that can backfire. Uh, so I, but on the, on, the, on the issue of, like, for example, the economy, uh, you know, a lot of it is local, so I think it's going to be it's going to depend on which of the two parties puts forward right legislation that's going to really speak uh, to this community in terms of higher wages, in terms of better pay, in terms of better positioning in the workforce. Do you? That's what's going to drive Latinos to support a particular party. Their Latino voters are just like American voters. What do they care about? Okay. They care about jobs, the economy, education, healthcare. Do it they? Well, okay. I all right. Having having said having 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 said that, Jaime. Does that mean that uh, a Hispanic uh, or a Mexican, I'm going to spoke Mexicans, that yeah. uh, Mexicans may be more upset, irate about illegal immigration at the border, they may be more concerned about that than Anglos? Absolutely, because they, they're there, they're living on the border. They feel it. They see the, you know, whether it's illicit activity, whether it's crime, they're feeling that, right? So... To them, that's going to matter more than, say, Florida, right, where you're there. There isn't an immediate border there, right? So the, the issue right. of immigration is a lot different uh, than it is in, in, in the Southwest. So yes, they're definitely going. There's nuances I think that that uh, are are important and they're prevalent. Bruno, we got thirty seconds in the segment. Um, I think a lot of the the best thing the Republicans can do right now is to remind everybody that the Democrats have become a party of the very very rich and and the very very poor at the extremes and that almost all of their policies benefit the very very rich more than the very very poor although they like to throw out a lot of aid whereas the republican party has actually become a working person's party and and we need to go after the working middle class in both the black and the hispanic community i want charles to respond to that when we come back about the uh, the the uh, the rebranding of the new Republican Party. We'll do that when we continue from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. 
and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our uh, discussion. And uh, Charles, I want to I get to you and talk about the, uh, uh, the realignment of the parties. You've heard the certainly phrase every, uh, seems to me, uh, 8 to 12 years we hear, we hear about a, a realignment of the parties. Do you think we are on the verge of another realignment uh, in the next four to eight years? It looks like it's been a slow-moving realignment. The previous realignments were relatively rapid, and the most decisive one uh, in modern American history was in 1936 when uh, FDR really consolidated the modern Democratic Party, mm-hmm. uh, although that changed in the uh, late 60s as black voters uh, came in and really joined uh, the Democratic Party in large numbers. Um but uh, there's been a slow moving. If you just think about the Harry Truman type Democrat, a, a, a plumber or an electrician, somebody like that, that person is now much more likely to be voting Republican. And if you think about um, uh, the typical, um, the old cartoon version of what a Republican was at a uh, somebody who lived in Chicago on the North Shore or in, around Cleveland in Shaker Heights or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those people now uh, are electing uh, Democratic representatives. Scarsdale, New York, uh, one of the wealthiest zip codes of all, has uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, who is a very left-wing black Democrat, as uh, its representative. That's atypical. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I do think that there's been a major realignment but I think that uh, Donald Trump um, overrides a lot of the rebranding. 
he mobilized a kind of grievance politics, but I think to move beyond that, they need, uh, the Republicans will have to move beyond Trump because he not only mobilizes a lot of supporters, he mobilizes huge numbers of people against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, question to you, Jaime. Um, Donald Trump's uh, support within the Hispanic community, how much of it is related to his personality more than his policies that there's a there's a macho element of donald trump and that plays well in the hispanic community uh do you buy that and uh could 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 trumpism succeed without donald trump in succeed in gathering uh, a broader support in the hispanic community um i don't think so i mean trump i, I think we give too much credit to to his his uh, uh appeal uh, to, to Latino voters. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, I think about it more through the party and what the actual party's doing. Okay. So, you know, again, going forward, if, if the Republican Party wants to continue to to utilize Donald Trump as, as, a, as a way to kind of, uh, you know, to, to mobilize uh, their base, they may do so at the expense of perhaps creating a, a more inroads within the his, Hispanic uh, vote, the Latino vote. So I think, again, the extent to which the Republican Party, for example, how they advance on the issues of like voter access, I think that's a big issue within the Latino community, right? That's something I think that Hispanics, Cubans, Mexican-Americans, the men can rally around, right? This can idea I ask of- you a question, uh, Jaime, yes. about um, people talk about DeSantis as a possible uh, candidate. And of course, there are a lot of Hispanics in Florida. Do you have any sense of his uh, uh, the nature of Hispanic support or opposition to DeSantis? I think to, to, right now it's still early on. I think only I can be, maybe just localize it to perhaps in Florida with the Cuban vote. I think that perhaps if that can resonate outside of the state, perhaps. But I think just nationally, DeSantis really, I don't think he, he's get, there hasn't been enough traction, I think, to begin to speak about that uh, just at, at, at a national level. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. What I, think is, what I think is interesting about what Jaime's saying is that, um, and th- I'll just really quickly, I'll try and make this fast. I just saw it uh, bolstered the other day by some U- uh, YouTube video I was watching. But right after the 2016 election, someone came out with a study, and it was like the four quadrants, you know, social conservatives, social economic conservatives, social mm-hmm. liberals, uh, uh, social conservative uh, liberals, and, and uh, economic liberals. And they talked about the quadrants. And so one of the most small quadrants that everybody thinks is big is the people who say, I'm fiscally conservative but socially liberal. That, that's like your socially liberal libertarians who don't like tax increases necessarily. And then there was the quadrant that was economic economic liberal social conservatives, which probably comes close to describing a great deal of the Hispanic community. I don't know the Hispanic community personally other than the people I work with, and I work with quite a few of them. But, you know, they're, they're not anti-government program. They're not anti-Social Security. They're not anti-taxes or anti-school. But they are pretty socially conservative. And what was fascinating to me in this 2016 or early 2017 paper is that Trump won 75 percent of that quadrant against Hillary Clinton and that quadrant was much larger than anybody thought possibly as high as 25 percent of the electorate so I think the Republican Party can uh, can move forward very well without Trump we can give Trump credit where credit is due for activating those people or acting in such a way that it caught people's attention Uh, the, uh, the thing that I saw recently is that Trump activated all those people picked up you know over the four years he was president picked up 10 million votes 
uh, over his first election, but he lost as many people as he gained on the mm -hmm. other side. I think the Republican Party has plenty of opportunity to pick up uh, or to pick up a, a, a chunk, maybe not every single person that they lost in the suburbs, but Youngkin's election in Virginia was an example of picking those people back up without losing the people that they gained on the on the social conservative side. Doesn't someone have to have uh, the gonads to go out there and take on Trump? I mean, you know, you, you've got to acknowledge. I mean, he's the you know eight thousand you know yeah, they, pound elephant in the room, but. If you're going to if you're going to wrest the nomination from him, you've got to stand up, not necessarily poke him in the eye, but you've got to get his attention by saying, "I am challenging you. I think I am better for the future of the you, party in this country than you are." You're you are completely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and so far, the one person who tried to do it, which was Nikki Haley, yeah. he cut her off at the knees. Yes. And everybody else, and she's just sort of disappeared from view she after didn't, that. She didn't fight and so back. I think everybody else has, has taken a lesson from that. And what and to add to what Charles is saying there, and, and this is just, since I'm dispensing free political advice yeah. as a, as a <laughs> sometime yeah, political twice. consultant, um, this is the way I would put it. You don't, if you, first of all, if two people go into the campaign against Trump, Trump wins no matter what. Trump is the 800-pound right. gorilla. He's the favorite. So somebody has to keep everybody else out while only one person goes in whoever that person is and it could be nikki haley she can always restart a career it could be ron DeSantis. anybody who goes up against trump they have to do one thing and it's going to be very hard to do because every other political consultant will tell them to do the opposite and that is you don't run against donald trump you say donald trump was president he deserves a place at the podium to try and win his this election if he wants to i'm in here I'm not running against Donald Trump. I'm running for the Republican nomination. And if Donald Trump is a nominee, I will support him. And then from there, you don't say Trump is bad because Trump, right. you know, Trump people aren't going to like that. And no. Trump is going to do some tweets and, or his son is going to do some tweets since he's no longer on Twitter. And he's just going to, you know, if you, if you wrestle with the pig, you get dirty and the pig likes it. Right. But what you say is Trump has a place in the party and Trump did something that no one else thought he could do and he pulled it off. But once is enough, and I'm better for the party. And it's once is enough, I'm better for the party. That's the tagline. And you don't run against him. You just leave him alone and do it that way. Could that person, Jaime, be Mike Pence? Does Mike Pence have the chutzpah to be able to take that role on when he was so closely associated with him? Yeah, I think he's trying now, but I think it's still he's I think he's being very strategic and has to be very careful. I think because um, he also while he wants to project himself now as, you know, uh, uh, kind of for lack of a better word, kind of independent or move yeah. away from Trump. He's looking forward. He understands, though, still that he's because he was so tightly tied to the hip. With well, he Trump said Trump was wrong. He's <laughs> the first person to say Trump was wrong. That's that's something. But again, yeah, I don't know whether I mean, that was the first step. Yeah. But it, 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 I think it's just going to be a, a gradual process. Uh, and so the question is, how much time is, is that process going to take, right? Uh, before perhaps someone else jumps in and, and says that Trump isn't. I'm sorry, that Mike Pence is not the person to right. to lead us forward, right? He's still kind of a reincarnation of the previous administration, and we're looking forward, right? We need yeah. somebody new, a new leadership, perhaps someone younger. Uh, but that's going to be for the Republican yes. Party to determine what they want to do on that. And, and the interesting thing here, and, and this is where the Republicans could really take a playbook from the Democrats, because 
the Democrats had an absolute 100% clown show going into the 2020 primaries. And you couldn't tell which crazy flavor of the far left, and they were all trying to out-crazy each other. And then you had Joe Biden, who was running a horrible campaign and who was getting nowhere. You had Michael Bloomberg come in as the sane candidate, and he completely blew it with his millions being spent and getting yes. almost no delegates. Right. And then, you, But you saw party discipline where they literally, you know, I don't know what they did. I don't know what the inside story is. But, you know, some of your past Democratic guests would. That, but they went in and they cut every deal they could. They said, get out. We'll make you, you know, uh, uh, energy czar. Get out, and we'll make you vice president. Get out, and they greased. and they kept Elizabeth Warren in, yeah. and she took crucial votes away yeah. from mm-hmm. no. him. I don't know what the deal was there. Yeah, and yeah, but then they, they and so somebody in twenty twenty four, someone's going to have to be the gatekeeper and say, we're only allowing one of you in the nomination battle, or you're all you're just going to blow it. Jaime, at this moment in time, do you think that President Biden can be reelected in 2024? Uh, this, I, I'm not going to uh, say uh, yes. I think it's, it's, well, it's, I think it's 50-50 around, to be honest with you. A, lot, okay. a lot's going to determine on what happened between now and leading up to the, the, the primaries. I'll um, come back and get know, Charles I'll get Charles response. I think it's going to be very, very difficult, and particularly among the Hispanic community, to really galvanize that community to, to build their support behind uh, this administration. We do have to pause. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. More segments coming up from Chicago. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 
180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and for our new listeners who've just tuned in, we're going to let each of our guests give a quick 15-second background on who they are. Charles Lipson, veteran member of uh, the University of Chicago faculty. He's now emeritus. And uh, tell us more about, uh, you're from Marks, Mississippi. Tell us more, Charles. You've written several books. Yes, uh, and emeritus means great with merit. Yes. (laughs) But you still get paid? (laughs) no no you'll see me shaking a cup on the corner um but i do uh i have written two kinds of books i've written a a bunch of books on international politics but i've also written books on trying to help students learn uh because i really do enjoy teaching uh and most recently what i've been doing is writing uh columns for spectator world um which is the website for the uh, long-standing British magazine, and also Real Clear Politics, yep. sometimes mm-hmm. Newsweek and others. Right, very good. Uh, Jaime Dominguez making his first appearance on our program, and uh, Jaime, you're doing a great job. Uh, again, brief uh, bio and your background. Sure, so Jaime Dominguez, political science professor at Northwestern University. I'm also a faculty affiliate with our Latino Studies program at Northwestern. I, I'm an expert in race and ethnic politics, immigration politics, Latino politics, and I'm also a uh, director of the Chicago Democracy Project at Northwestern University. I will say one thing, I, it's funny that I'm on this show right now because I remember in the early 90s, I'm from LA, and I remember sitting on, on my sofa on a Sunday evening, and I just remember seeing this show beyond the Beltway, and there was Bruce, and I was like, you know, I, I was a political science major in college, and I was just like, wow, what is this show? What is it about? Where is that? And so here I am, fast forward, 2022. Well, I thank you very much. Uh, we will have you on again, and nice hearing that story. And uh, we've heard that story from several other uh, people who have become regular guests on this program. Where uh, uh, w- One was a student in high school, and his high school teacher recommended uh, uh, tuning oh. in to be on the Beltway. So we go back uh, several generations. Let's go to Scott who's listening in Austin, Texas. I don't know how long he has been listening, but he's listening tonight. Go ahead with your question, Scott. Are you there, Scott? Scott in Austin, Texas, after that nice buildup. How about Jorge in Brooklyn, New York? Jorge, are you there? Yes, please. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I wanted to comment, but this is with qualifications that... Uh, for the most part, as a Hispanic who has um, resided in El Paso, Texas, that I prefer personality 
and like I said, with qualifications to policy. And I think that's important that a personality who is qualified and is promoting policies that are in general productive and beneficial to a community of Hispanics be elected. And um, with regards to uh, our president, for him, personally, in private speaking, why bother, you know? Why bother for an additional term if he's already been president? Um, what more does anyone need other than that? Jorge, let me ask you the question, then I want Jaime to respond to it. Um, there have been Hispanics who tried to run for president of the United States. Uh, Castro certainly did it uh, last time around. What will it take, in your view, for a Hispanic to be a bona fide um, candidate for president of the United States that's going to go deep into the nomination process and might actually be end, end up being a candidate for president of the United States coming from the Hispanic communities of America. How will that happen in your view, uh, Jorge? And then we'll get Jaime's response. I've got your answer. You. Your question, Bruce, and the answer is simply family. You need a good family, and you need a family that is willing to support you with vote that extends to their families and to the friends of their families. Okay, Jaime, what, what what's your uh, what's your trajectory yeah, I, to somebody getting to the point where they could be a viable candidate for president of the United States? Yeah, I think it has to be somebody who I think have, has high profile, high visibility, has served in the executive position. I think uh, perhaps you know serving as maybe governor of a state, but more importantly, also I, I think what has to accompany that is just higher, I think, levels of participation, I think, by the Hispanic community, the Latino community. Because that, the, the, the ethnic Q component, when it comes to voting for, for Latinos supporting a, a candidate, is a study that's shown that that's still very strong. So I think that, uh, you know, that, that definitely has to happen. It's a gradual process, but I think until you begin to see higher levels of participation increase, you see uh, uh, Hispanics becoming more visible politically, and I think both parties, Right, because I'm not just saying that it's going to be within the Democratic Party. It could actually come out of the Republican Party, and I know people don't want to say that, but it, but it can. And then I think the, the Hispanic community, I think, is a, a very good position. You know, you're you're in a better position where you can have two parties listening to your ideas versus mm -hmm. just one party. I think yeah, you just have a more more opportunities right. for, for to expand your ideology, expand your your base, and so I think until we have that, then perhaps. You know the direction could be pointing uh, positively, and at at some point, electing a uh, Latino or Latina to to the executive off to executive um, office in the White House. Bruno, um, I, I like what um, uh, what Jaime's saying there because I, I've been trying to tell people this for the longest time, and I think there's a lot of Republicans that uh, think this way, but I, and I don't know whether it's their own fault that they haven't done it the right way, or whether it has something to do with the black community. But every time I talk to somebody in the black community about politics, whether they're a Democrat or Republican or conservative or whatever, I just ask them, it's like, you, you do know that when you can split your vote among the two parties, and you're not 90% one party and 10% the other party, you do know that you have more political clout, that, 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 that the parties vie for your votes. And, and, and I'm not saying that the, the Republican Party should be pandering to blacks and Hispanics on so-called black and Hispanic issues, but the fact of the matter is that if you're pro-work, if you're pro keeping more of your money, 
Um, another huge issue that should be uh, we should be talking to the blacks and Hispanics about is uh, education, particularly with the, the Democrats are essentially now running on shut up, we'll teach your children what you want, what we want to teach them, and we'll teach them that in grades kindergarten through uh, third grade if we want, and we go, we'll, we'll tell them anything, and oh, by the way, if you don't like what we're well, telling them, we'll, we'll, we'll go and, and, and say that uh, they should uh, keep secret uh, what we're teaching in the Hispanic classroom. Hispanic parents don't seem to be uh, shutting up and standing by the wayside. I mean, at least in the coverage of what happens in Chicago, which is where this program comes from, uh, the, the parents that are out there complaining about the school system, I mean, uh, heavily Hispanic and to some extent African-American, but uh, yeah. a lot of strong Hispanic leadership at that point. Right, and the, and the GOP, you know, the, the conservative community, GOP, whatever, uh, we should start talking about ways to get to say we'll we're going to do what we can to help extricate you from a public education system that is a no longer doing a good job of public education and b is so ideologically blind that they don't even they they they're, they're they're more interested in disseminating ideology through the schools than they are actually educating is there enough uh money within the hispanic communities uh, with all the the different denominations that you referenced, um, Jaime, to come up with the amount of money you need to run for president. I mean, Castro was out there, but he didn't run. He didn't run very long before he had to step down. And I don't think anybody, uh, you know, he's been mentioned as a possible, you know, vice presidential candidate for Hillary Clinton, and also I think he was. He was, you know, in the in the in the beauty contest for that with Joe Biden. I don't think he was taken seriously, because when you get mm -hmm. right down to those big decisions, like I said, you know, in the last segment, all right, are you going to pick a black running mate or are you going to pick a Hispanic running mate? And I just think the Democratic Party is locked in to picking a black running mate. I well, as I said, you know, I think I think it, 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 until we begin to see more electoral. Victories, I think, higher again, electoral participation by Hispanic voters and also outreach. Let's not forget about that because it's not just a one way street here. It's a it's a it's a two way street here. So, you know, uh, I think uh, both parties also need to really uh, invest heavily uh, in, in this constituency. Uh, Democrats uh, historically have and I would argue to this day still have done a much better job than the Republican Party in terms of doing that. Uh, and so that's going to be important just in terms of creating, I think, a, a, an infrastructure, right, mm -hmm. to be able to raise money to become competitive so that you can create advocacy and you create advocacy, advocacy you can get your ideas out there. So, um, yes, I, funny, no doubt about it, it, it's key. But until, again, you begin to see Hispanics uh, more visible in, in the various layers of government and more importantly, within the various layers of the party, right, uh, you won't be able. To, you won't begin to see substantive change until that happens. Charles, are, are the Democrats are they trapped by the identity politics that the party uh, oh, has? Badly, badly. Uh, uh, but I, I wanted to make a couple of points. First, about the schools. I think that the Democrats are the party of experts, and I think it's been a bad couple of years for experts. It's been a bad couple of years for public health experts, and it's been a bad couple of years I mean you know led by the CDC and mm -hmm. Dr. Fauci it's been bad for the experts who tell us that they know how to run schools 
I would say on Hispanics, I think that the other big dimension, which Jaime mentioned earlier, is generational. Third yeah. generation Hispanics, the ones that I know, are very different um, from, they're very much integrated into America and maybe less focused on this ideological politics mm -hmm. uh, and identity politics. They're also much more successful uh, than many of the other immigrant groups, uh, certainly Mexican-Americans have been. And uh, so I think that we may be looking at it a bit the wrong way, that they that it will be like uh, for a long time Minnesota had two Jewish senators. They didn't run as Jewish senators. They just were senators, competent people, having to be Jewish. And I just wonder if that might be one of the ways that we will see Hispanics move forward as they integrate okay. more into. Charles, we've got a break. We've yeah. got a break coming up back shortly in Bruce Dumont. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24 hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now. 
and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, if you were listening or waiting for Larry Horst this evening, uh, we're still waiting for him. We were supposed to have a connection with his uh, home in uh, Florida, but uh, he, we have missed him or he's missed us, so uh, you won't hear him this evening. By the way, I mentioned this in hour number one, starting tonight at beyondthebeltway.com. If you don't go to beyondthebeltway.com, I invite you to go there tonight, like it, do whatever you got to do to like us. Because there is a new feature called Flashback. And Flashback Beyond the Beltway, these are programs and discussions in the history of this program, the 42-year history of this program. Uh, So you will get the reaction that very day or that week to important news Hmm. issues uh, in the world. And uh, this week, if you go there right after the program this evening, you will hear the discussion following the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan in Washington, D.C., and that is the April 2nd, 1981 program. So that's 42 years ago, and again, it's a very good discussion, and every Sunday night we will drop a new program from the thousands of shows that we have in our archives. Some of them will be about famous events. Some of them will be five years ago. Some will be 40 years ago. Uh, wherever they are, it's going to be a, 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 a deep bath, if you will, into the vat of uh, Beyond the Beltway broadcast. So, again, uh, uh, it's a flashback. You can find it at beyondthebeltway.com. Charles Lipson, I want to go back to you and just uh, look into your uh, crystal ball. Uh, at this moment, is there any, give me a reason why Donald Trump should not run for president. I think that he wants to run only for his own vindication. Uh, and I think he, he has a good argument that the policies, the tax reduction, strong border controls, um, and, uh, work well, and uh, Russia didn't invade Ukraine uh, during his term. Uh, we don't know how that will turn out. So I think he's got... Uh, re- strong policy credentials. I think the problem is he's not only backward looking, but I think it's a terrible thing for a democracy when uh, the candidate of one party doesn't acknowledge uh, the victory uh, of the other, especially after it's been litigated through all the proper channels. I think that that's just disgraceful. Jaime, what do you think four years of Donald Trump, four more years of Donald Trump would mean to the uh, country? Uh, just, I think chaos, just discord. I think a lot of anger. I think that this uh, gap, I will say right now, in, in terms of just the polarization is just gonna become a huge gulf, I think. Um, and I think that it's gonna, you know, at least from the, from the Republican party side, I think it's just gonna have them looking backwards as opposed to looking forward. And I think um, they wanna do the opposite going forward right that we've gotten beyond this uh you know one of the the major tenets of, of our democracy is recognizing 
right? The uh, peaceful transition of power. We do this through elections because if you don't accept that, then we will always, as a democracy, be walking on eggshells. As far as I'm concerned, no, we're. I think we're already Bruno. we're already walking on eggshells. And and what I, what I, what I and I've I've heard a lot of this. And I'm I'm you know I've been I was very early in saying I'm not a Trump fan. Um, I can defend Trump on where where he's defensible, and I don't defend him where he's indefensible. Um, I think he's very problematic for the party, and I'm hoping he doesn't run. If he does run, he's probably going to be the nominee, and unless some very good things break for for the per, the one person who might be the one running against him. But um, I will say this: he he saw some stuff happening the electorate in the electorate that nobody else really saw, and I've said this since the very beginning: Trump is a manifestation of things that are happening in America and things that are have that old things that have to break down and new things that have to come in mm -hmm. and Trump may be backward looking but he saw some things that were broken and did what nobody thought he could do um, maybe Bush or, or Rubio would have won that election easier but they wouldn't have done it through the pathway of Michigan Wisconsin and Pennsylvania as Trump did so these are things that that uh, that both parties are gonna have to wrestle with and um, I just hope that he doesn't run and let the party come work through him. I mean, I mean through, you, past past him. Jaime and Charles, we we'll start with you, Charles. Go ahead. Go ahead. We need to also recognize how uh, what an utter failure the Biden administration has been. There's just been loss after loss after loss. Uh, there's almost nothing that's gone right, and. And surprisingly, they're just not listening um, to the public who's saying, don't keep doing this. And uh, they keep listening to the left wing of their own party and, and putting forward programs and trying to push big programs with no majorities on you, Capitol Hill to do it, and they didn't run on those programs to begin with. Jaime, so do you I agree, think that they're you, very vulnerable. I want to get Jaime's respect. Do you agree with Charles that uh, Biden is listening almost exclusively to the left wing of his party? Uh, if he's not, he's definitely you know lean, giving giving leaning towards uh, you know um, that side of of the party. No doubt about it. Listen, twenty twenty two is going to tell us whether or not he's listening way too much. To that end of the party right mm -hmm. and so if that happens there obviously there has to be a reconfiguration a kind of a realignment of, of the party going forward and they're just going to have to uh you know lick their wounds and hopefully learn from you know the things that they're doing wrong right now so that that doesn't repeat itself and hopefully that allows for the opportunity of perhaps others within within the party because the party is big but i think it's also just been disproportionately influenced by one subset of of, of that party and we see what's happening uh, to, to the Democratic Party when you do that. And you're not able to just, you know, you can't control the messaging. Bruno, response? Uh, actually, I, I want to respond to um, what, because uh, I, I think Jaime's right, and I don't, I don't think they're listening very well, but I wanted to respond to the first question you asked regarding what would four more years of Trump look like. Yep. Uh, number one. We've got five seconds. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Trump probably hasn't learned anything, but he could beat Biden, and if he did beat Biden, uh, he might have. He, he might be a better president second time around. Uh, I don't think he's learned much either. And uh, if he never had to have another election, uh, that would scare me a little bit. 
on uh, Jaime uh, Dominguez. Thank you very much for joining us. Charles Lipson, thank you very, very much. Bruno, thank thanks for coming into the studio. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman, who got the program on the air and got us off on time. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Elk Grove Village, Illinois. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.